Welcome back to Spirit Squared. I'm Andrew Darrington, your host. So Spirit Squared, we're in uh, episode nine, and uh, we're here with a new guest and a great topic, a very, very important topic. Uh, I just want to remind everybody, Spirit Squared, we're talking about a spirit, so it could be anything wide. Uh, it could be tequila. It could be whiskey, whatever it is. Uh, we do like to share that uh, on our podcast. And the spirit of the individual that we have, our guests, we've had some great guests in the eight episodes we've had, anywhere from somebody who's an expert in in, in distilleries. We've also had people that were intricate in the uh, in the medical industry. So we've had some great guests on. And now we, we're going into a, a two-part series of, uh, of human trafficking. Looking very, very forward to some of the information we're going to get tonight. I'm going to pour my first pour. This is uh, Don Fuano. I, I went there this week, uh, this last week in Guadalajara, just outside of Guadalajara, and visited their distillery. Super nice distillery. Very good people. Uh, I'm having their uh, Blanco uh, Fuerte. I also want to rep Arete, uh, great, great guys, super fun guys, and good people to know. If you ever have an opportunity to go to Guadalajara and get over to uh, Tequila, you definitely want to do that. Great people, great hospitality, uh, fun time. So our guest tonight is Gina Bull. Uh, she is an abuse prevention and anti-trafficking specialist. She's also the founder of Stunningly Strong Beauty, correct? Correct. Yes. I do it all. I get, that's a mouthful. You got it that's all. Yeah. Okay. Good um, job. <laughs> for you guys that don't know, I've known Gina for almost 20 years now. I think the first time we met was in a little farmhouse in Oklahoma. Yeah, definitely. Little little farmhouse in Oklahoma. <laughs> right, right. Yes. So, uh, we called them Granny or, yeah, Granny and Gramps. Yep. And you had a different name for them. Yeah, we called him Nana and Papa. <laughs> that's right. Well, Nana's still here, but Papa, yeah. he left us. But I mean, that's the first time I met you. You gave me a big cup of coffee. We had a lot of fun times, ate too many sweets. But uh, <laughs> when, when I created this podcast, you were one of the first people that I thought about because of the importance of the things that you do. Uh, I'm so thankful that you're able to come on and talk to us about this very, very important subject matter. So- Let's start with, you were in media and broadcast some, some years ago. That's kind of how you got a foothold into what you're doing now, right? Yes. And first, just let me say thanks so much for thinking of me and asking me to be on here. Super, super honored to be a part of this and um, to be able to share this message, you know, as well. But yes, I started out in media and broadcast. That's really what my background was in. And um, we were living in Baton Rouge, Louisiana at the time, and Hurricane Katrina came through. <laughs> and first hurricane that I'd ever experienced because I grew up in Columbus, Ohio, and we just knew to look for lizards and ice. And so Katrina happened and worked relief efforts uh, for Katrina. And from there stemmed this whole conversation a couple of years later where the media started to pick up on these stories of people that were being trafficked from Katrina across state lines. And the way it happened is families, obviously, during that time were devastated. They were separated when the levees broke. I mean, it was just mass chaos in New Orleans. And you're from 
you're from the state, so right. around that area, you know. Yep. And it was just, it was insane the amount of just devastation and families that were separated and people that um, were misplaced. And so natural disaster, anything like that is going to bring with it just the low, lowest of low humanity. And there were people that actually dressed up as FEMA workers and promised other family members, we found your family, they're in a shelter here. Um, There were people that came in and really what broke the story is this huge labor trafficking thing where people were promised jobs and then they were literally kept in these horrible uh, trailers. They were, their shoes were taken away from them at night and they were forced into, you know, labor trafficking. And so this, these stories broke and all of a sudden people started going, oh, this doesn't just happen overseas. This happens here in the United States of America and where we were, this happens right here in our backyard. And so that's kind of what swung that door open for me to start to be able to dip my toes um, into this realm. And then I just got sucked in and it became my passion. And I, I just, I live to educate and to help with the prevention side of it and also for victim identification and survivors. You know, that's, that's sure. the heartbeat of everything is the survivors. Right. So there's a time period between, so Katrina was 2005 mm-hmm. um, and, and it was, it was insane. My dad, my mom and dad were down there during that time. Of course, my mom evacuated, my dad evacuates. My dad works for the railroad. So he's like one of the first people that are able to come back. Saw some crazy stuff. People were, you know, acting like we're in a third world country. Um, And I can only imagine the fallout to that. So we have this problem. It's identified the trafficking problem I'm I'm referring to. Mm -hmm. And so a task force is created, right? Uh, Yeah. It's like, it's a pretty good amount of time after that, right? Correct. So Katrina happens in 2005 and I didn't actually really get involved until, um, until right about 2007. Um, so it was a couple of years after that stuff started like to be brought to light. And, um, a friend of ours had asked us, and it's so funny. I tell this story because I've, I've been in nonprofits where it's human trafficking, anti-human trafficking. And it's cute because I remember I was in a room full of interns and they were all going around like talking about how, oh, I saw a I saw this movie or I, I just had this really great experience and I went overseas and I want to come back and I want to fight this. And I was like, that's great. I'm like, my husband and I made a video, but not that kind of video that you guys (laughs) may be thinking about. Um, we, we were just really commissioned to work with an organization called a 21 to help them kind of start to get the word out about what trafficking was at that time. Um, they had just started. And uh, it's what we would call bumper videos. So literally just these 30 second, 60 second pieces that would be played before the founder would come up and talk about it. However, the only thing that I had to go on to really be able to write the script and to help produce it was what the UN had about human trafficking. And I'm talking like pages like this thick and all of the legal ease and speak that you could possibly think of. And so trying to dig in and and I read every article that they had within this, you know, trafficking against persons whole document that came out and highlighted stuff. 
and really started to go, wow, if you're trafficked from a foreign country into the United States and that's found out, you have a ton of resources. You get visas, you get protection, um, you're given housing like crazy. But if you're trafficked in the United States, and at that time, trafficking was considered being taken across state lines. The laws have changed since then. But at that time, if you were trafficked across state lines, it was harder to prove. And if you were trafficked within your own area, you pretty much just got the stamp of prostitute. And that was it. And so you're arrested put in jail for the night, you have a criminal record. And so really starting to see the discrepancies between the domestic victims and the foreign victims. So so I saw that just from the the way that the, those laws first read. And thank goodness they've changed a lot, you know, since 2007. And then um, from there, from that video, just something struck me. And I had a friend um, call me and say, hey, there's a nonprofit. They're looking for somebody to do media communications um, and to really get out in the community and bring awareness. Are you interested? And I said, sign me up. Yeah. And they're like, great. And then they called me back later and like, by the way, uh, your task force meeting is tomorrow. And I was <laughs> like, I did not sign up for a task force. I'm sorry. I just want to talk to the press. <laughs> Right. and um, go educate people. What are you talking about? And they were like, be at the courthouse at this time, at this time. And so I I literally, I think that night I prayed that I would have a heart attack so that way I didn't have to go right. to this thing or that the house would flood or maybe an alligator would just be randomly in the driveway right. and I couldn't get out. And I mean, none of those things happened. I was like, all right, great. So I went scared to death. I walked in and I mean, it's like the DA is there. Um, there's medical and EMT people that are there. There's detectives there's prosecutors. I mean, I'm just, and, and I walk in and there's other like non-government organizations that are there that are doing these massive, huge things. And I walk in and I'm just like, hi. <laughs> and I sat down, I was lost at first. I didn't know what was going on. Um, and I came home and I told my husband, I said, I quit. And he's like, you can't quit. He's like, you already quit your other job. You need this job because we need the income. You can't quit. Right. Um, and so the first six weeks was a huge learning curve. But once I stopped feeling like I was treading in water and actually started to feel like I was swimming, that's when things really started to go. And I realized like, it's not as overwhelming and huge as what I thought it was going to be because there were so many people that were involved in that task force. And we were working together in our own lanes to help combat this issue that, you know, human trafficking is. Yeah. So I will get to your transition to Texas here pretty soon, but I want to talk about, because the, the work I'm sure is very similar mm -hmm. in your domestic outreach and like trying to find individuals that have been trafficked. Um, what is, what is that? Stings are one thing. Like we mm -hmm. understand what that is. We've seen the, the 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 sitcoms or, you know, the the shows right. where uh, the syndicated shows where they go in and they bust the door down and all that good stuff. But you're doing the work prior to that. Yes. You're talking to the people on the streets. You're talking mm -hmm. to the person. 
maybe that you've identified through your skill set, your training and stuff. Talk to us about some of the things that you've done prior to the the glamour part of, you know, what we see. Right. So a lot of people, they automatically hear anti-trafficking and task force or um, nonprofit, and they go to Liam Neeson, very special set of skills and it's taken. And um, I'm going to be real honest. I felt more like Mr. Bean, you know, with like my little like nerdy self out there. And um, it is not, and it's not an hour long. I think TV has, or, or two hours for the movies, you know, it is, it's a long process. So in order to identify victims, first of all, we have to know, you know, where they are. And one of the, one of the, the things that people will a lot of times think about human trafficking is that um, it involves like kidnapping or physically forcing someone into a situation. Um, and what they they don't realize is that grooming is a huge part of it. So one of the things that that I like to focus on is that prevention and what does grooming look like and going in and being able to identify that person is grooming this entire community because um, it's not it's not just this I don't even know how to explain it other than there's just this this idea that it is like taken where girls are hiding under beds and people are pulling them out or if you went and watched um, the last movie Sound of Freedom where it's it's that and yes it can be the modeling things but really what it is is it's a pimp who's willing to invest and know that they're going to get an ROI on that investment so for me if I was driving around an underprivileged neighborhood I was looking for the guys that were hanging out leaning up against their cars bags of McDonald's handing food out to all these young kids that were coming in around them because the thing is is those traffickers and those pimps they're feeling they're feeling a physical need and then from there because if they can fill a physical need of food during the summertime and if they can fill a physical need of clothing and coats during the winter then the little grannies that stand out there and that are watching on the streets that are the eyes and ears they think they're good they're taking care of these kids like they're feeding them, they're clothing them. And so that's literally how they will go in and groom like an entire neighborhood. And then they'll just start focusing in on those girls or those boys that they know they can get their money back on. Because it is so true. You sell drugs once, you might be able to sell a weapon a couple of times, but you can sell a human multiple times over and over and over in the same night. So one of the things that we did was we identified those areas where the traffickers were and um, trying to identify, first of all, who the traffickers were. So looking for those signs and then also going in and looking for in schools and talking to the kids and educating the the kids in schools of what does an abuse of power look like? You know, getting in front of the counselors, working with school counselors to say, this is what human trafficking looks like. And I can give you guys some identifiers, you know, here in a little bit. That this is what it looks like. Do you see anybody like this? And then from there, being in the ears of law enforcement and saying this is where it is. And yes, there was nights when we did midnight outreach, you know, midnight, one, two, three o'clock in the mornings where 
I'm knocking on hotel room doors and I'm just, hey, I have bags of free food. And it was those pay by the hour, yeah. you know, motels. Sure. And if they, if I can get them to open the door for even 30 seconds to take food from me, I was able to put my eyes in that room and I, I could see if it looked like there's a bed and there's 45, you know, year old man and a couple of guys standing out front. And so from there, able to work with law enforcement to send them my location, the details of the cars in the parking lot. And there's one motel actually here in Texas that I went to a lot. Um, the owner started to trust me and they would call and say, you need to come out here and take a look at room 330 or whatever. Right. Um, on the corner room was drug dealers. They were there every Friday and Saturday night, but they got to know me and they would come as soon as I pulled up and they would be like, it's that room over there. We know who they are. And so I was like, okay, wow. So even, <laughs> even these criminals have like this level of we're not crossing that line. And um, so it was more of a seek, uh, seek and search and then report and then step back and let the police come in and do what it was that they needed to do. But it wasn't always immediate. You know, they there's intel gathering. They You've got to run the plates. You've got to see because you can catch the little tiny fish. But really, at the end of the day, who are the big ones? And so as much as we want those instantaneous results, it's it's months of crossing every T and dotting every I whenever it, it comes to those types of operations. Yeah. One of the statistics that blew my mind when I, you know, I try to do as much research as I can. And for this one, I did a little bit more than than most because it's it's not in my lane. I'll just be honest with you. I mean, this is yeah, it just isn't. And uh but I wanted to show you respect. Obviously, I wanted to know a little bit, and I and I, so I did a pretty good amount of research on the topic. Uh, not only that for you, but this is we're going to have another guest on uh, to talk a little bit more about our area. Um, mm -hmm. We have a, a group, and uh, they're going to talk a little bit about hot spots in our area and how that we can help and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But the average individual that that is trafficked is 12 mm -hmm. that blew me away yeah yeah 12 and um runaways yeah well, huge there was a variety of things we know that a lot, some come from south america mm -hmm. and their parents are hoping that even though the kid is going to go through a lot of despair that they'll come out of it, like you said, through programs and things like that to, you know, they'll get away from it, but they get conditioned and, and, uh, it's, 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 it's tough to just think about a uh, 12 year old. And, and I, you know, we both have kids. We both had, have had 12 year olds under our roof and just the, the mentality and their mental stability is just not developed yet. And to understand that occurs is is um is tough to to swallow um the other statistic and it, I, I, there's a couple there's one statistic i want to hold on to because that one is the most appalling to me but <laughs> almost 60 percent of the population that is trafficked is is african-american mm -hmm. which i thought stood out to me because when i think about trafficking i think about hispanic population that demographic 
coyotes moving people across the border and and the deals that are made and stuff like that. And so that was one that really stood out to me as well. Yeah. I think too, what's important to understand is that, um, you know, people, you know, people will, they'll say that, um, you know, well, it's, uh, it can happen to anyone and it's, it's happening in your own backyard. And that's kind of the common undertone for anti-human um, trafficking field. Technically, yes, that's true. Anyone can be the victim of that, just like anybody can be a victim of a violent crime. But there are things that make people way more vulnerable to this, you know, generational trauma, um, historic oppression discrimination other social factors will come into play um you know and uh one of the things uh that happens too is that traffickers will recognize the vulnerabilities of the people that they're honing in on and they will take advantage of that um of that person there's a quote that i wanted to uh tell you guys about there's a book called the pimp game it's an instructional manual, true story. This is the real written by oh. a pimp, a pimp. Okay. Now I've also been able to sit and talk with traffickers as well. And one told me, you know, I'll stand outside a schoolyard and see who's being picked on and then decide if I can connect with them in order to gain their trust. And wow. I'll work for three or six months to gain that kid's trust, knowing that my ROI is going to be worth it. But in the pimp game, um, it, it's talking about grooming. And this pimp quote says, you'll start to dress her, think for her, and own her. If you and your victim are sexually active, slow it down. After sex, take her shopping for one item. Hair and or nails is fine. She'll develop a feeling of accomplishment. The shopping after a month will be replaced with cash. The lovemaking turns into raw sex. She'll start to crave the intimacy and will be willing to get back into your good graces. After you have broken her spirit, she has no sense of self-value. Now, pimp, put a price tag on the item you have manufactured. Mm. And like he's telling other pimps like how, <clears throat> how to traffic their victims, you know, and it's not mm. just girls either. Boys can be victims as well. And that's something that I think they're kind of that silent victim type that people forget that it's not just females while a majority is females, but boys can also become victims of trafficking as well. Um, runaways will do, they'll have survival sex just to survive. And then from that point, they'll connect with usually a trafficker or a pimp because they feel more safe. Um, they, they break these survivor spirits like nothing I have ever even, I don't even know if our CIA has come up with these types of, you know, psychological mental games that they play with these victims. It's unbelievable um, the trauma that they go through. And a lot of times people are like, well, they know that they're victims of human trafficking, but they don't self-identify as a victim. And that's another myth is that, you know, people think that um, they're, physically unable to leave their situations or they're held against their will and that might be the case but a lot of times the reasons why they stay is a lot more complicated you know some of them lack just the 
basic necessities to physically get out. They don't have a place to go. They don't have a car. They don't have a safe place. Um, but some are afraid, you know, for their own safety. If girls have had babies in the midst of this, um, usually multiple pregnancies, they're only allowed to keep one full term. And that child then becomes collateral. Yeah. And it's held and in order to for the safety of their child, you know, they will stay. And then some have just been so effectively manipulated or forcibly hooked on drugs that they just they literally like they just can't leave. They I, they don't know what they would do if they did. Yeah, absolutely. Um that's a lot to take in. Okay. Yeah. Um <laughs> that uh I don't have any daughters personally, you do. So, you know, I mean, that touches you probably deeper than me. Um, so what, what do we, how do we identify victims or how do we teach and train potential victims, how to, to possibly steer clear of these situations and, or identified, I know there's a lot of peer groups in high schools now that that do teaching and training maybe you know kind of let's band together mm-hmm. talk to us a little bit about that so one thing if you're listening to this podcast and you have kids that are young or teenagers or whatever um i just don't don't live in fear live in wisdom you know i i've done this for 15 years and i am not afraid to let my kids go out and be a part of the world or to have cell phones because we have wisdom and we talk about it. And they they didn't know what I did when they were young. Um, funny story to help kind of lighten it a little bit. It was during COVID and everybody was locked down. And my son, who is now 16, at the time was uh, not. And he was uh, 13 and he was sitting in front of the computer and they were talking about natural disasters. And he was like, well, we lived... And he's like, I didn't live, but my parents went through um, Hurricane Katrina. And they were. I heard the teacher say, oh, that's really interesting. What else can you tell us about Louisiana? And he said, oh, well, my mom was in the sex industry there. <laughs> and I was like, no, no, get off, get off your class. Like, literally, I had to email the teacher and be like, this is what it was. Right. Yeah. Just like, I was like, seriously, like that that's where we went. Okay, cool. So, um, but you, you don't live in fear, you know, you live in wisdom and you talk to, to your kids about it. So one of the best things that I can tell anybody is that, um, if your child has a smartphone, great. It's just where we are in society, but smartphones don't equal social media. Just because you have an iPhone doesn't mean you have to have social media. It does not come preloaded with Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, Snapchat or any of those like those are apps that you download and for the most part if you give your kid a smartphone make sure you're set you set up the parental controls Um, a good out for families is like look these things say you have to be 15 14 16 or however old you're not that age you don't get this when they do become that age you don't just download these apps and then let them have free reign Um, you know each one of our kiddos is different so our two oldest ones um, you know, they're both out of high school now, one's out of college, the other one is in college. They were 18 before I said you can have Snapchat because I don't have the physical or 
I don't even have the mental capacity right now to keep up with your stuff. And you have to. I mean, it's not stalking them. It's not like we have to kind of get out of our mind as parents that they need their privacy and they need their space. No, they need boundaries and they need protection is what they need. So let them have these things, but have very open and clear communication about what the expectations are. Have them sign a social media contract and then let them know, I'm doing phone checks. You will be my friend. I will be your friend. I will monitor your Instagram. I will do all of these things. Um, because honestly, like now the world that we're living in, that is how yeah. people are reaching out to these kids. And it comes through the things of, and I get them all the time on my account too, which is so weird. It's like, hey, we need an ambassador for this clothing brand. Uh, we liked what you posted. We need an ambassador for this jewelry. What's your address? Where can we send you free products and samples? And it's like, can you imagine like to a teenage girl or to a boy? Like that's flattery. Yeah. Like, ooh, they they think they like it, you know? And so, and it starts with that because they all want validation with who they are and that they're great and that they're amazing. And so it's having those conversations with them that say, I'm, I'm monitoring, you know, your profile is set on private and we're not going to talk to people that we don't know. And if somebody does want to talk to you, I want to be included in that conversation and they may roll their eyes and be upset, but you can very clearly just say to them, look, here's the reason why it happened here in Texas, a young girl, young teenager, and you can read about it in the Dallas, you know, Dallas newspaper met somebody through social media, went to a basketball game with her dad, decided to meet this person at the bathroom during you know the game said she was going to get concessions willingly walked out of the american airline center with this person and then was found in oklahoma being trafficked like and we think that that doesn't happen but that happened like that that happened here um there's been other girls where they've connected with people through snapchat and social media and we have found them literally in downtown fort worth in a situation that they never thought that they would find themselves in so talk to your kids, you know, be aware, be aware of your surroundings. Um, again, it's it's also understanding that in these vulnerable populations that we're also looking for that, you know, and if, if you're around kids, if you're a human being, you can very easily identify, you know, somebody, but easy ways are what is the living situation like? Is it an unstable living situation? Right. Is there a lot of turmoil at home, you know, because a lot of times if that's the case, then that validation at love is going to be sought out somewhere else. Um, is there a history of domestic violence yeah. that's going on? Um, has, you know, does one of the caregivers or family members have a substance abuse issue? Mm -hmm. um, it, here in Texas, uh, gang trafficking is huge here. And uh, where I was in Louisiana and the middle and eastern districts between Baton Rouge and New Orleans, uh, family trafficking was big. Hmm. So parents would keep their kids home from school, sell them during the day in order to support substance abuse issues. Yeah. So um, is there, you know, substance abuse issues that are going um, on? Runaways, kids that are involved in the juvenile detention center um, and justice and foster care systems are highly susceptible to it. Um, what can happen to you is, you know, is there a kiddo who 
or even not even a kiddo, it can be an adult, that all of a sudden they're being showered with like gifts and money and they become the object of a very fast moving um, romantic relationship where it's like a younger, older person or somebody who's really wealthy and somebody who's really struggling connect and they're getting love bombed and like all of a sudden it's like just boom, boom, like. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. And you're just like, what is going on? What, what's happening? You know, um, it could be, and for adults too, because I, I know of, you know, victims that were 20, 21, 22 years old and, and ended up, you know, being trafficked because it was a relationship that with the coworker or a student teacher relationship that is just kind of too close. And you're like, that doesn't feel right. And that doesn't set right. Or maybe it's somebody that they only have met only on social media and all of a sudden they're like, I'm going to go meet this person. Um, for, you know, if there's caregivers or um, medical personnel that are out there that are listening to this, understand that between 60 and 80% of traffic victims were seen by medical personnel and were misidentified or not identified at all. Because... They wow. did one, they, they maybe didn't know what to look for, or they were not left. Oh, like those trap traffic victims were not left alone with the healthcare provider. Yeah. So, so themselves. somebody's, yeah, if somebody's always around and controlling, yeah. um, if Aggressive like that control. kind of, yeah, like that kind of stuff, um, you know, it also understand too, that women can also be the traffickers. So women that want to get out of this lifestyle sometimes are groomed to be the ones to go look for the new girls to replace them. And they can be, they, it's horrible, they call them the stable moms. Um, and they can be the ones that are actually controlling the girls because in a demented reality of theirs, they bumped up, you know, when they're out of that lifestyle. So now they're better than everybody else and they're controlling, you know, the other girls too. So. Wow. Wow. Okay, another layer. <laughs> Down. Uh, layers and layers, yeah. Right. Okay, so so what do you so you're now you're in Texas. You've been in Texas for a while now, right? Yeah, since 2012. 2012, same as safer. Well, so we moved from Amarillo to here to East Texas in 2012. So yes. same year. Um, same year, yeah. Yep. And so what are you doing now? So now I'm working on the prevention side um, in the schools, um, talking to kids from pre-K, believe it or not, all the way up to high school students. Oh, I believe um, it. I believe it. Yeah. Um, so with our pre-Kers and and elementary students, we're it's more of a um, it's giving them the ability to tell adults no. And I know that for a lot of people, are like, oh, we can't. Yes, they can. Because what we want them to do is to understand, one, they have control of their body. So there's safe touch, there's unsafe touch, and there's confusing touch. You know, so we, we touch on the physical abuse, sexual abuse, and then like what is normal. And giving them the voice to speak up and say, no, I don't like that. And then telling them it's okay to tell another trusted adult what's going on. And being that trusted adult and allowing these kids to come up to us after we've spoken in their classroom and talked to them to disclose. And so with taking in disclosures, you know, you're working with CPS and you're, you're passing on disclosures. So in elementary pre-Ks are really just kind of giving them their voices 
um, to be able to say no. The older elementary students would really start to talk about social media and gaming etiquette and how to stay safe and what to look for in grooming without actually saying this person's grooming you. Uh, middle school, I know people are like middle school and I like, I did not like it my first year that I did middle school. I was like, maybe because I had middle schoolers living with me and I was like, oh my gosh. I love middle school now though, because we really, we talk a lot about bullying, um, sexual harassment and um, healthy relationships because a lot of these kids, they don't know what a healthy relationship looks like. And again, because they're vulnerable, they're more susceptible at that age because brain development hasn't happened yet. Um, So they're more susceptible to like all of this love bombing and groovy that can go on. And then high school, we talk all about everything from trafficking to date rape to the sexual consent laws in the state of Texas. And seniors don't want to hear it, but I'm like, look, y'all are going to college. I'm going to keep you out of jail. Here's what consent is. And this is what the laws are here in this state. So we, we talk a lot about that and cyber safety as well. So what does that, what does that talk, talk, uh, look like? Is it, is it classroom setting? Is it, uh, like circled group setting? Is it, cause I mean, obviously look, I, two years out of high school, I coached and mm-hmm. it was tough to talk yeah. to high schoolers because I know everything. Uh, I've had them, you've had them too. Yeah. And, uh, so it's, it's easier to sell them on your ideas, um, and make it their own. Uh, so what, what does that look like? What does it look like to have a conversation with somebody who already knows everything? It's interesting. (laughs) Um, you know, it's, uh, it is in the classroom. So you do not want to take this into a huge school assembly where there's 150 kids, right? Like you, you need the classrooms. And so it might be, you know, I might spend three days in a row at the same high school talking to just the science classes at different levels. Mm-hmm. So freshman, or four days, freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, um, in, in all this. And I mean, it's like eight periods of just rotating through these science classes. Um, so one, it's interesting. Each class is different. Mm-hmm. Kids are going to respond differently. Um, but it's, it's statistics. It's, I like to draw graphs and things on the board. I try to get them engaged. We show videos, we have open discussions. Sometimes they'll sit there and I'll do a whole class and not a kid will say a word. And I'm like, it's not because I just have to know anybody that's on my team. You know, when we go in, we're like, especially for the new, the new, what the new trainers that are, are going in with us. I'm like, it's not your responsibility to get them to engage. Your responsibility is to deliver the stuff. And, you know, case in point there, there's times when I've walked out of a class and I'm like, not, nobody said a word, but then two periods later, one of the girls has come back to me and said, I really need to talk to you about what happened and I'll get a disclosure. And sometimes those disclosures do involve police departments and parents and lawyers, you know, depending on what it is that was said. So it's just, it's interesting. And like I said, each class, each school is different. So I'm in some schools where toilet paper is literally chained to the bathroom stalls. Right. I've been in schools where we've had legitimate lockdowns and not lockdown drills. And then I've been in other schools where you walk in and it's like a fireplace is in the lobby and they have their own coffee shop. And I'm like, what is this? You know, right. um, but they all need to hear that message acro- across the board. But it is a small, intimate classroom settings, you know, for, 
for that. Some schools will divide the boys and the girls. And, you know, and you want to talk about like, it, you know, it doesn't phase me. I've got boys. I have girls, you know, two boys, two girls. So for me, going in and talking to a group full of boys about what the consent laws are in the state of Texas, other people are like, oh, my gosh. And I'm like, they have to know it. So I'm just my personality is I'm just going to tell you and you can be as uncomfortable as you want. I'm not uncomfortable. Right. Because you guys need to know this. But you're right. They Some of them think they know everything and they don't want to listen, but they end up, you know, kind of getting drawn in because they're like, all right, this isn't biology 101. This is something totally different. Any any recent disclosures or past disclosures that that were eye-opening that you could share with uh, f- folks that are watching that maybe somebody that, that you know, is in a household that that there were no symptom signs things like that, or, or maybe there was, and nobody wanted to address it or. I know that there's been a couple of, um, so a lot of ours are still open because these cases take a while. I do know that, um, several years ago there was one and the school counselor was like, okay, this will be the third time that somebody's come and that somebody's reported. So a teacher's reported, another student's reported, and now you're in here reporting. And hopefully this now will get CPS rolling and get the ball rolling, you know, in this regard. Um, Another one of my coworkers, she took a disclosure and it wasn't until three years later that she actually got called into court. And so for us, you know, being able to go back in and so we write everything down and we type everything up and we submit it. And that's why we do that. That's why there's all that paperwork is because you can go back in and say, okay, this person said this, 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 these are the facts. This is what I did. This is where I, I recorded. Um, one really cool thing is that, uh, we were at a school and a girl heard, uh, we were doing the, um, talking about date rape and, um, it was one of those classes that was tough. Nobody really said anything, but a couple of days later called, um, the women's center and said, Hey, we need to come in for free counseling. My daughter was in one of your classes and um, told me that she was, you know, date raped. And now where do we go next? And so um, the calls that we do get from parents where kids maybe don't disclose to us, but they go home and they talk to mom or dad is amazing because they're like, we had no idea. Thank you so much. Now we're on the path and the road to healing because we don't just go in and set off a bomb and then leave. Like, like there's where I, the, the women's center where we're at that does this program, there's free counseling and there's free crisis intervention. And we have a crisis intervention hotline and we have crisis intervention counselors that are there to come in to, to stop the bleeding and to help, you know, these victims turn into actual survivors and to move on, you know, into their, into their new life of being able to say, I'm a survivor. This doesn't define who I am. Right. So moving back to trafficking, one of the statistics that stood out to me, maybe you can expound on it, was that was shocking to me was that uh, of the trafficked individuals, only 2% are recovered, like are transitioned back to, you know, normal life. That statistic was appalling to me and i'm assuming that some of it is due to them them not being able to be reprogrammed 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you just cannot reprogram them. Some of it's due to the effects of drugs and, you know, possible overdose and, and, you know, fatalities that are involved in the trafficking process. And the other part of it is just, frankly, just not being able to, to connect the dots to get them back. Mm-hmm. Where they end up in a different country, a different city, and you just can't like it. The the the, uh, the trail goes cold. Yeah. So <laughs> one thing too is to remember that not every traffic victim is going to say I'm a traffic victim. Right. Uh, so they're not going to self-identify. Just like every alcoholic is not going to sit down and say I'm an alcoholic. You know, I mean, they're, they're not going to self-identify. So within, you know, outside of that 2%, take into account the ones who, um, don't even identify as victims, you know, or don't realize that they're being trafficked or think that this is just a normal part of life. I know in India, it is normal, especially in Nepal for parents to sell their girls when their girls are six and seven years old, because that's what happened to them and these girls just disappear and then they're gone and they're in the red light district never to be seen or found again and it you have to you would literally have to go in and change the entire culture of that region which people are working to do but that takes time and so take that into account that there's cultures within the world where this is just the normal this is normal. Like, why is this bad? Like, we don't understand why this is bad. Um, and it is like, to your point, it's the reprogramming. It's the fatalities that that come into play. It's being forcibly hooked on drugs. It's feeling, um, some feel unworthy to get out. I did this. This is my fault that I got into this situation to begin with. Uh, coercion is a very powerful thing. Uh, we had a girl that um, college student very well-to-do family, went to a frat party, had her drink roofied, was uh, gang raped, and it was videoed, and then told, if you don't show up and do what we tell you to do when we tell you to do it with who we tell you to do it with, then we're going to send this to your daddy and to the pastor of your church and to everybody else. And so for two years, she lived this double life of going to school, but then also you know, being a slave in the evening times because she was so scared of what would happen. And literally, those are the hardest ones because they blame themselves. If I hadn't have gone, if I hadn't have done this, if I hadn't have done that, then this wouldn't have happened. And it's almost like I deserve to be in this situation and I deserve for this to happen to me. And it's it's having to reprogram that mentality, you know, too. Um, another thing that will contribute to that 2% is that we, I personally, and you know, everybody's entitled to their opinion. I personally feel like we do not have long enough um, sentences for the traffickers whenever they are trafficked. Uh, You know, what we've seen with survivors and with safe houses is that they need probably a good three to five years of intense reprogramming and detox and mental health you know physical you know therapy physical therapy um they've got to relearn society and if 
we're only giving traffickers 18 months, six months or whatever, how are we going to keep the, the people away from them? You know, how are we going to keep them away from, from their victims? Because it's like, they're going to find them and it takes a long time for those ties to be broken. So with that 2%, you know, it is that, can we keep their people away? And some of them are just gone overseas, like in villages and they're just gone and you just don't see them anymore and you don't know where they end up. Yeah. Um, you talked a little bit about prevention with like, uh, some of the, uh, controlling of the social media is there are there other ways to prevent trafficking you know obviously you're working on quite a few projects in schools are there things that that we should focus on or or look at for prevention yes so um i think that a really great way for um people to just kind of to get involved and to help with prevention is one to support those places that are doing prevention. Um, a lot of times in schools, um, I know here we're fighting right now with the school boards of saying, well, parents need to opt their children into these classes versus opting them out. Before it was like, if you don't want your kid to see this right. thing about, you know, my kid's school just didn't want about fentanyl, like then opt them out. And I'm like, no, they need to see that, you know? And so, um, making sure that you just understand, like for us, this isn't sex education. Like we're literally like preventing, you know, domestic abuse, child abuse, trafficking. So understanding those programs, um, it's, it's being able for people to just get involved everyday ordinary people can make a difference in this. I mean, it's a huge, huge problem. It's global. It's worldwide. You do not have to operate in the realm of, you know, knocking on doors at midnight at hotels and motels. You don't have to be a part of a task force. You don't have to be in prevention at schools. Just ordinary, everyday people can make an impact. And um, one of the things is just finding out where are the needs in your community and to fill the needs in the community because the pimps and the traffickers are going to do it. And they're going to do it because they know that they will be trusted and they can start to groom people. So if there's a place in your community that has a food bank and they need food, drop off food. You know, I call them food deserts. So, so take, take part in that, you know, is there uh, an underprivileged area in your community where you feel like maybe they're, they're in need of coats or, you know, blankets during the, the winter time, then, you know, see if you can connect with somebody in your community that's, Get, providing that, you know, for them, it's finding the needs of the community and then saying, how can I help with that need in order to make sure that somebody else that has, you know, nefarious intention is not filling that need. Yeah, absolutely. Very cool. A lot, we covered a lot of ground very quick. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome information. Um, we're going to, we're going to add some links to when we post the uh, the podcast, we'll add a ton of links that people can go to. Is yes. there are there any uh, websites or nonprofits that you can talk about just off the top of the, the head that uh, that you'd want people to go to 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 kind of support these initiatives and and or more education? Yes, so uh, Polaris Project. Okay. You guys check them out. They are going to have 
so much information and they break it down state by state. So if you're in Iowa and you want to see what trafficking looks like in Iowa, you got to check out Polaris Project. They are absolutely amazing. Um, Atlas Free is another one of my favorite nonprofits uh, because literally they um, support other nonprofits. So how cool is it that it is a nonprofit that raises funds for other nonprofits that are involved in anti-trafficking all over the world? That's why it's called Atlas, you know, Um, and so they provide support and funding to partners everywhere. So they are amazing. They're called Atlas Free. And then the um, Human Trafficking Hotline is another one that people really need to to get on there. So uh, humantraffickinghotline.org. And I know you're going to toss that down in the show notes too. Uh, If you're local here in Texas, I love the um, organization called Unbound. Now they are amazing. And then Refuge for Women is also working on safe housing uh, for women. And they're not only here, in the DFW area, but they do have other safe homes throughout the United States as well. Yeah, it's cool. Um, yeah, I mean, we, it's just something that we don't think about a lot. I mean, right. we're, we're, we're blessed. And, uh, you, I mean, obviously you've done a lot more work than I have. Uh, but again, whenever I thought about launching this, this is one of the first things I thought about. It's a heavy topic. Yeah. It is, um, but it's one that needs to, to, we need to shine light to. Um, and I'm, I'm so glad that you were able to come on and, and add some, some, uh, some detail and, uh, a lot of good information. Yeah. We're going to add a ton of, of links for folks to look at, uh, and, and contribute to if they want to. But at the end of the day, I mean, it could affect us all. And I think that we, we've got to pay a close eye to it. 7% of the folks that are trafficked are, are male. So mm-hmm. it's not as though boys can't be influenced either. So right. I think that's that's uh, another uh, statistic that stood out to me too, is that Absolutely. they can be influenced the same way. Uh, and and, and we, we think of it like, oh, well, they're going to be pushing drugs. They're going to be you know, gang banging and stuff like that. No, they're trafficked mm-hmm. the same way uh, like you were ta- uh, referring to earlier. That's right. And Go ahead. so, um, well, before, before we sign off, you know, I know this can be so overwhelming and it can be really, really heavy. Sure. Uh, and so if everybody just can remember the starfish mentality, like that's how those of us that work in just any of the realms of even nonprofits in general, like we really have to take the starfish mentality. And it is just the story of the little boy walking down the beach after a storm and all these starfish had washed up onto the shore and he's picking them up one by one and he's throwing them back in. And this old man comes out and says, what are you doing? And he said, I'm saving the starfish. And the old man looks down the beach and he's like, there are thousands of starfish on this beach you are not going to be able to save everyone and he picked up one starfish and he said but i can save this one and he tossed it back in the ocean and so that's really how we have to look at this if we try to look at the overall global issues of it it can be overwhelming but if you're interested in getting involved and in helping just focus on that one what is that one thing that i can do how can i help in that one way can I be a graphic artist and do stuff for free for nonprofits? Because Lord knows we're not very good at that kind of stuff. You know, am I great at fundraising? Can I help do fundraising? 
can I sell baked goods? Am I a mom that stays home and, and I can just, you know, make phone calls or do data entry? What can I do to help save that one? And I think if we can keep the starfish mentality in front of us, it keeps it from being super incredibly overwhelming. So what I was going to trans- transition to is really <laughs> strong beauty. Yes. I mean, it's, so you're the founder of that, that uh, Facebook page. Mm-hmm. Talk to me a little right. bit about that page because- when I go there, I'm like, as a guy, I'm like, oh man, <laughs> this is intense. There's a lot going on, women style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I've got Stunningly Strong Beauty uh, page, which is like all beauty products, and then right. I have our Stunningly Strong group yes. and the Stunningly Strong Facebook group. There's about 540 some yeah, women that are all there. It's, it's impressive. <laughs> Thank you. Um, it was just birthed from this place of um, women needing community and to champion each other. I am all about not competing with other women. And yeah. so it's a platform for women to come together and to share ideas, to give their thoughts, to have um, in-depth discussions and conversations, or to just say, you know what, I need some encouragement today. I'm feeling really low, or I had a really awful mom moment. And it's just beautiful to see all these women jump in and be like, hey, me too. Like, this is what happened to me. And to just really um, be able to encourage each other. So if you're a woman, uh, I invite you to join. If you're a man, you will probably not like it at all. (laughs) Because there is, we talk a lot on uh, Mondays that we do Monday moments, which is just an encouragement, you know, type thing. Faith is really strong in my life. And so I like to share from that cup. Um, but then coming up, we've got 12 days of Christmas that is about to to hit the airways. So it's going to be 12 days of recipes and decor tips and decorating and fashion and um, all of that fun, amazing stuff. So lo- would love, love, love to have you be a part. And that's the Stunningly Strong Facebook uh, community. So I'm going to share a, 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 a non-known thing. Even my wife doesn't. So eighty okay. percent of my staff is female. Okay. Oh wow. Okay. I have a staff okay. of sixty, so that makes up to about forty-five to fifty individuals that are female. And I've, in the capacities that I've held, that has been pretty much the status quo. Has been about sixty to eighty percent of my staff has been female, and I, I have a sister too. So thankfully, I was raised with an, a, a sibling of another gender, which was awesome. Uh, well, it wasn't awesome when I was growing up, but you know, it is <laughs> right. what it is. So anyway, I jump on your page every now and again to just ground me some because <laughs> us as guys, we have this like fix it mentality where we just have to fix everything or we have to know everything about everything or we just have to be assertive, even if we don't yeah. know what the heck we're doing. So we just have to act like we know what we're doing. And so sometimes I jump on there just to kind of, like say, okay, this is the struggle or this is, and you know, the, the sounds of encouragement is great, but just the vulnerability, hearing the vulnerability of like challenges of being a mom, challenges of, of setbacks, of, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe, uh, uh, of verbally being abused or whatever it is, um, that, adjust my approach sometimes when I'm talking to 
uh, one of my employees that's 22 years old that I know comes from a broken home that, so, I mean, what I'm saying is this, it, I understand that it's page that's targeted to a certain, uh, demographic, but occasionally I do visit to gain some reference and, and to get some humbleness and some softness to my delivery because I need it. Um, and, and what other references do you go to? I don't, I don't, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get that from a book. I'm not going to get that from, uh, I'm probably not going to get that from a peer, even if it appears female, Mm -hmm. they're probably their, their motivations and their, everything's probably similar to me. Uh, their conversations are probably going to sound slightly different, but I think that that going to those sources kind of gives me a, a little more uh, like realness. It's, it's real. Yeah. Putting their emotions out there. It's, it's a, it's a vulnerability. It's, it's realness. It's encouragement. It's a lot of great things happening on that page. And, and so I pop in there without you knowing me. No, 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 no problem. Toby, Toby, uh, Toby pops in every now and then and because I have a blog as well and I had kind of put it down for the past year and I've just picked it back up again. And so uh, it's stunninglystrong.com if anybody wants to check that out. But every now and then we'll be like, hey, that blog post was really good. I just read that. I was like, oh, thanks. Or I'll come into the bedroom and I hear myself and he's watching like a Monday moment, you know. Um, But I'm I'm really big. And the whole reason why it, it was just founded is because Beauty for Ashes, like, I even me personally, like I found myself in the midst of just like burning down the world and it's my fault. And I, I think that stories that we hear the end of that are great and encouraging and amazing are, are wonderful. But I think that we gain more strength and encouragement from hearing about the struggles that the person went through to get to that point. And so I'm, there's times that I'm like, look y'all, this, this day sucked. It was hard. It was awful. Um, I'm not where I need to be. I'm not where I want to go. There's been setback after setback after setback, but I'm here. And um, I've en- encouraged other women and the stories that I've written about the other women that have been on there too, that are on the blog have just been, you know, it doesn't have to be wrapped up in a neat little bow. Like, like what is your life like right now at this moment? Because I can guarantee you that what you're walking through you're going to look back at some point and you're going to tell somebody else like, Hey sister, guess what? I got you grab a hold to my lifeline and I'm going to pull you through, you know, the next place. So, but I'm glad that you hop on there and uh, observe quietly. (laughs) My my favorite is like somebody puts like they're having a bad morning or that they're, uh, their kid, you know, struggling this, that, and the other. And all these, all these women are just like, "Uh uh-uh, no, you're not going to, you're not going to let yourself get down. You know, no, we went through that, you know, and this is what happened. No, it's just, they, they really rally to each other yeah. strongly, um, in that, in that, uh, in that forum. And I applaud you to well, creating you. that, that forum for them. And I know there's a lot of strength that, that they're deriving from that. They're stronger people from it. So it's cool. I, I jump Thanks. in, I, I get my strength, my, my female juju and then I just I go about my business and I just hope that uh my employees I, I know my employees know because like today was a perfect example I had a uh, female employee uh, disclose to me today that a former supervisor 
made some inappropriate remarks and they did it on Snapchat because that forum, mm-hmm. you know, earns the messages within 24 yeah. hours. So it, she didn't snap a message of it. This was a couple years ago. She didn't have the confidence to disclose it to anybody. She sees me as a fatherly figure because I'm 20 years older than her. Mm-hmm. So I'm talking to her. She mumbles something under her breath. I pick up on it. I confront her about it because I don't want it to just go without happening. And she discloses what happened and I'm appalled. And so I report it to HR. And of course, they're just like, happened a couple of years ago, individual still employed. So it's still, it's still an open investigation. But the fact is, is I don't know if I would have done that five years ago. I don't think I would have, I, I would have heard the un, you know, the murmur under her voice and just went, went on, but right. who, you know, exposure to, you know, different forums like yourself, like your, your stunningly strong, uh, a beauty, uh, page. I mean, uh, those types of things are, are things we got to pick up on. Right. right. And I, I think I'm, I'm better educated from that type of forum and, and forums like that. So cool. All right. So this well, is the segment you. where we do shout outs. It's my favorite part. Um, well, it's not my favorite part, but I mean, it's still my, one of my favorite parts because in podcasts, you really don't get to do that, but yeah, I love it because it's like your opportunity to kind of, Talk about some people that maybe have influenced you to do what you do, give you purpose. Um, I'm not going to put any words in your mouth because I can <laughs> kind of maybe guess a couple folks, but uh, nonetheless, I'm going to I'm gonna leave it up to you. Kind of sure. talk a little bit of some of that. Well, shout out to you for uh, the podcast and for, you know, doing this. And of course, you know, I was going to shout out to my husband, Toby. He uh, is an amazing, strong guy have to put up with all of the this you know because sometimes it is full tilt 100 miles an hour and he is just that i'm the kite and he's the string (laughs) and the person that holds it that grounds me so he is amazing and we had awesome right beside each other yeah right beside each other yes and we're both hard-headed but loyal that's yes very much yeah so (laughs) it's awesome very much he takes me on my birthday, I text him on his birthday. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of our thing. It is, and the cool thing too is like, like you, he's a fixer, so yeah. he learns now to ask me, "Do you want me to fix this, or yes. do you just want me to listen?" Or I'll start the whole conversation with, "Don't fix this, just listen to me." So shout out to that guy because he is amazing. Of course, my four incredible kids who, um, you know, they're they're all awesome functioning kind adults two of them are adults and i've got two still in school and love them like they're amazing great great kids um and uh so much fun uh to to just see different stages of their lives now and we're at the place where everybody sleeps in on saturday morning so (laughs) that's that is amazing um i also want to shout out my friend tara she is a victim. She's a survivor of domestic violence and trafficking, and she's a huge advocate right now for um, for trafficking victims and domestic violence. Her name is Tara Alston. Um, she has a book called "Yet Still I Stand." You can find her on Facebook. I also feature her in Stunningly Strong as um, a Stunningly Strong Woman of the Month on my blog, and so she is just incredible. I love her story so much. I've known her for 
years. I mean, since we were in as high school and to see going from one to the other to now she's just this incredible force of nature for survivors. Absolutely uh, love and adore her. And of course, to every person that believed in me from the very beginning, from the from the people of Trafficking Hope that said, can you do the task force to the people who rescue her that gave me the opportunity to be the domestic outreach director. And then, of course, shout out to the Women's Center of Tarrant County, who yes. are just incredible people that um, I can't say enough good things about them. They're all amazing. And I just I love it. And uh, to every person that is in this realm that's fighting it and to every survivor that is out there and to any person that is in the thick of it, you are amazing and incredible individuals. And um, for those of you that are looking for a way out, I'm praying that, you know, you find the strength and the resources to get out. And for those of you that are surviving, may your voice be the stepping stone for the others to follow behind you. Very cool. Really appreciate you sharing. It's yeah, thank so you. Yeah, man. I love it. <laughs> it's so good. Um, I, I do have a quick shout out and then we'll sign off. Um, during the last week, week and a half, uh, as I said in the, in the beginning, I traveled to Guadalajara and we went into Topicape uh, and then we went to Tequila. And I was there for an industry trip, uh, but man... So I was there during uh, Dia de, de los Muertos. So it was Day of the Dead. And okay, similar yeah. to what we have, like 4th of July, MLK Day, um, Columbus Day, like the people of Mexico really show a lot of reverence to their ancestry. And more than what we do, in my opinion. Like right. I, I think that we celebrate like former birthdays and we we celebrate um you know like certain milestones that maybe our ancestry hit uh 50 years of marriage or whatever it may be <laughs> but um these are people that are not with us anymore and right. i had lunch in a cemetery i you know we had festivals uh in a, in cemeteries, uh, they cleaned the graves. They decorated the graves. There were people camped out in chairs telling stories about their ancestry. It's just not the same. It's it's right. just the same. So I wanted to 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 shout out to to to, to Gramps. I know you you call yeah. him different. He was an awesome oh. awesome man. Uh, I remember having many many conversations with him. Uh, he was just such an intellectual yeah. and uh, inspired me to do a lot more mm-hmm. with what I had going on than, than uh, what I thought I could achieve. Uh, my uh, my mom's my mom and dad, they were awesome. My grandmother was a, a librarian and my grandfather was a bailiff and uh, he was <laughs> man hard. I always think of him, the one of the first memories of him was that old John Wayne uh, video where he's he asked the boys like, "Can you swim?" And he goes, "No, I can't." He's, he just throws them into the water. There's- you know, that's <laughs> what happened to me. I was wearing diapers, and and my grandfather asked me, "He's like, can you swim?" And I was like, "No." And he's like, "All right, you're going in the ho- horse or the." <laughs> and I just threw me in there, and I remember touching the side 
Uh, and it was algae all on the sides and I was freed, but I swear, you know, yeah. um, that ancestry can't leave with us. It just can't. Right. We have to pass it on. And that was yeah. something strongly that I brought back from Guadalajara, which is a absolutely amazing zone of uh, Mexico. It's not, it's very safe. If you ever get an opportunity to travel there, you definitely want to. Uh, sure. Thanks so much, Gina, for coming on. Thank you. I really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing so much. This is great, great information for us. This is not something awesome. that anybody probably ever prepared us to cover uh, in, in this type of podcast, but I'm glad to break to them. Glad you were available to, to do it as a family member. Uh, appreciate what you do day in and day Absolutely. And, uh, and I know that you're touching a lot of people. Um, this is, this is, you know, episode one of two or of the, of the series, awesome. uh, human trafficking. We're going to have some folks on for, for, uh, for the silent. That's our group here in the Tyler zone. I didn't know if you knew this, but Arizona, California, and Texas are the three states that are most trafficked, uh, most trafficked humans in the United States. And obviously they're worldwide happens, but in the United States, those three horror yeah. states, obviously, uh, it's just a lot easier for them to cross over. But mm-hmm. those three states are so for the silent. We're going to have some folks on for that and uh, looking forward to it. Thanks so much, Gina. Appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. Have we're going to sign off. Thanks.